The following message was recorded as part of the morning worship celebration of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church in Eatonton, Georgia. More information about the ministries, staff, and worship offerings of Lake Oconee Presbyterian Church can be found on our website at www.lopc-pca.org. It's a privilege to be here at Lake Oconee. PCA Church. I have to admit that uh, before I met David, I did not even know there was a Lake Oconee. Um, I grew up in, I was born in Oregon, grew up in Pennsylvania, so um, Lake Oconee was not on my radar. But I'm happy to say that it's a delightful and beautiful place. I uh, got to come in yesterday and play some golf, thanks to Jim Hildebrand and staying in their lovely home, uh, hosting us. And uh, what a beautiful worship space. And uh, David is a student of mine in the Doctor of Ministry program at Covenant Seminary. We have cohorts that read 4,000 pages before they come, spend two weeks together in intensive classroom uh, time, and then write lots of papers, very long papers, for me to grade uh, afterwards. Um, So uh, David's doing a great job. Uh, You can be proud of him. Uh, working hard and uh, is a, a great asset uh, in our classroom discussions uh, as well. Um, I have a friend uh, also from the seminary along with me, John Ranheim, and uh, he got to join us for golf yesterday, and uh, he and I are traveling uh, for a few days and are thankful for the opportunity to uh, be able to have a nice stop here both yesterday and today and to join you for worship. So thank you for, for having us. I, I saw, I just have to hold this up, I saw for the first time the By Faith magazine, which is sort of spread out different places there. Normally it isn't all about Covenant Seminary, but this issue has Dr. Peterson, our systematic professor, on the back, on the front, and information about us on the back, and articles with our graduates in here doing church planting, and all sorts of things. So I'm glad to come to Lake Oconee and find out about Covenant Seminary. <laughs> through the denominational magazine. So there's even something in there about me being interim president. I didn't even know that was in there. So at any rate, I just thought I would point that out to you as I discovered it myself. Um, Our scripture reading this morning is in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. And let's stand together for the reading of God's holy, inerrant word. beginning at verse 8 of Galatians chapter 4. Hear the word of God. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who by nature are not gods. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you are turning back to those weak and miserable principles? Do you wish to be enslaved by them all over again? You are observing special days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that somehow I have wasted my efforts on you. I plead with you, brothers, become like me, for I became like you. You have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness that I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, You did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ Jesus himself. 
What has happened to all your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. Have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? These people are zealous to win you over, but for no good. What they want is to alienate you from us so that you may be zealous for them. It is fine to be zealous, provided the purpose is good, and to be so always and not just when I am with you. My dear children, for whom I am again in the pains of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone because I am perplexed about you. Pray with me. Father, as we come to this portion of your word in the context of your letter to the Galatian church, which by your Holy Spirit is a letter to this church, to us this morning, we pray that the Holy Spirit who inspired these words would now shine his illuminating light upon them, that we might see clearly, and that he might also shine the light his light into our hearts, that we might see ourselves and be captured afresh by the wonder and the glory and the beauty of Jesus and the good news of the gospel, a gospel that not only saves us, but keeps us and grows us to be more like Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Forty years ago, I attended the Summer Olympics in Munich, Germany. It was part of a larger tour that about 50 college-age students, I was 20 at the time, so if you want to figure out how old I am, I'm 60. Um, and 60 is so much younger than it used to be. Um, but I was traveling with about 50 uh, college students and a couple of uh, pastors and their wives. Uh, we visited 26 different countries. Literally from the day I left Tarkio, Missouri and returned to Tarkio, Missouri, my home, I was around the world in 80 days, which was uh, a lot of fun. And it was the trip was intended to visit pastors and missionaries and see what God was doing to get a global vision, vision of the work of God in the world in 1972. Well, we hit a lot of uh, important other places along the way to enjoy uh, what various countries had to offer. But we were at the opening day of track and field at the Munich Olympics in 1972, a place where athletes spent years getting ready to participate and to strive to win a gold medal, or if not a gold, perhaps a silver or a bronze. Well, there were three heats of the 10,000-meter race, which is 25 times around the Olympic track. And uh, we got to watch that and uh, observe that. And that's not, if you watch that on TV this time, they're always sort of cutting off to go to something else and then give you an update because 25 times around the track, um, for some viewers who aren't all that excited about, you know, running round and round in circles, many, many times perhaps would uh, want to see what else is going on. Well, in the first few laps, the, the pack of runners were close together. And all of a sudden, we noticed that one man, as he was running in that pack, stopped. And he bent over, and he started holding onto his leg, and he's sort of walking like this. 
and meanwhile, the runners get about a half a lap ahead of him, and pretty soon he starts to jog and starts to run. Whatever leg cramps or whatever he had went away, and so he was continuing to run, and, uh, but quite a ways uh, behind. A couple of laps later, there were two runners who were about as far behind as this particular runner, and when the Olympic track would make its turn like this, apparently you could go into the locker room by running straight. And two of the runners who were not as far behind as this runner that I was focusing on, but quite a ways behind, ran right into the locker room and completed their Olympic participation by not completing the race. Well, at that point then, this particular runner, um, who by now I'm trying to, I'm, I'm looking, you know, I can see his number, and I'm looking at his number on the Olympic scoreboard, and I see this name. It says Italy. He was from Italy, and his name was Sindolo. So anyway, he's running along, and all of a sudden he stops again. And he's holding on to his side. He apparently was having, uh, they didn't interview him afterwards that, that I heard, so at any rate, they, he's holding on to his side, which, which must have been another set of cramps. Meanwhile, all the runners pass him and are now about a lap and a half ahead of him. And, but instead of going into the locker room like the other two runners, he starts to jog, and then he starts to run again. So at this point, what I found out later, in fact, only recently did I look up, they didn't have internet back then, and discovered that at that particular qualifying race for the 10,000 meter, the winning time was a new world record. So in this qualifying heat for the 10,000 meter, a world record was set in which Sindolo, and I've also discovered by the miracle of internet and uh, Wikipedia that his first name is Giuseppe, Giuseppe Sindolo, okay? Who would have thought? Um, he's now, everyone else has completed the race and he still has almost, uh, he has over a lap to finish. So here you are, there's 80,000 people in the Olympic Stadium and Sindolo runs the last lap and a quarter all by himself and finishes the race to louder cheering than the man who set the Olympic record, I mean the world record. And what a, what a marvelous picture of what the gospel speaks of, what Paul using and drawing on that athletic imagery in various places as well as the writer of Hebrews saying to run with perseverance the race that is set before us. But in many ways, we are all, whether we like to run or not, runners in this great race called the Christian life. And there are times that we really feel the distance of 25 times around that track. Who could do that? How can we keep going like the runners who decided not to? We get, maybe not literally, but figuratively, cramps in our legs and cramps in our side as we try to go forward in this race of faith that has begun by the gracious and powerful work of God through Jesus Christ in our lives. At times, we are feeling so much pressure from family, from friends, from work, even within our responsibilities within the church or the community. People who have high expectations that are placed upon us that we could not possibly live up to. And I guess the question that Paul is addressing in this passage is, how do you respond when those pressures 
come upon you from wherever they may come? What kind of patterns do we develop in our Christian life that even as Christians would veer us off track from the message of the grace, the empowering grace of the gospel to persevere? And that's what Paul is dealing with in this particular context of the Galatians. You might simply say that this portion that I read is, and the NIV captures it in its little uninspired heading, called Paul's Concern for the Galatians. It's Paul's concern for the people of God. It's not just Paul's concern for the Galatian church. It's Paul's concern for this church, for all of our churches. And so he pours his heart out here. There is so much emotion and depth of passion that's reflected in many of the words um, in the midst of this particular passage. And I guess I would say, as one who is in the midst of a Christian institution that is going through transition, of which I'm right in the middle of that transition as the interim president, and preaching to a congregation that's going through a transition from a senior pastor to a next senior pastor whom you know not who that is. How do we keep holding on to God and trusting him when we want answers and we want them today? We want to know the future. And what kind of patterns develop in the way we walk with God and with one another, with our families, when various kinds of pressures come to us that sometimes are heightened in a season of transition. I will have to say to you that the transition at Covenant Seminary and my role in that as interim president is one that by the grace of God and the help of many brothers and sisters in Christ is one where I have been driven to my knees and to the Lord in a way that is very exciting about what it's awakened in my life in my love for the Lord and my confidence that he can enable me to remain calm out of a deep trust in him in the midst of lots of unknown things. And I thank God for that and want to hopefully encourage you um, in your context about that. This particular passage in many ways reflects this imagery of the race that I described that our friend Giuseppe ran in. Um, And so there are three questions that I think come out of this passage. And and Paul, uh, like a good preacher, a good teacher, um, is not always just giving answers, but he's asking questions. That the work of a sermon is not completed when I give the closing prayer. The work of the sermon and the worship service, and again, I love the opportunity to be in, in a particular context of one of my students to see him leading and being involved in worship. But the work of the preaching of the word and the impact of the elements and means of grace of the service is intended to go on. And some of us might say, well, maybe over Sunday dinner we'll talk a little bit more. But it's meant to be transformative in your life to have you take something from this and Take these questions, I would urge you, that are formed here. I think you have them somewhere in your bulletin or somewhere. Um, And say, to meditate on them, to pray upon them, to, to share some of your ideas from them with people that you love, that you're in close fellowship with. But the first question that Paul asks is found in verses 8 through 10. 
Why are you returning to old patterns of slavery? That's what Paul is asking. Now, you see what the context of the book of Galatians is that Paul is highlighting the glorious message of the saving and keeping grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. And what's happened is some people have followed in after Paul when he brought that freeing message of salvation in Christ to people who were slaves to sin like we once were. And as he brings that message and leaves and goes on to other places, what happened is that people followed in behind him and said, what Paul said is not really the gospel. You need to believe in Jesus, yes, but you also have to be circumcised in order to be saved. And whatever the substitute for circumcision is that we would add to the gospel of Jesus Christ and faith in him alone would be like that. It would be adding to what Christ has already accomplished and depending not only on him, but on something that we do as well. And so what happened is a number of people were returning to what really is a works-righteousness-based approach to God. But he says, in their former ways, they were slaves to false gods. The worship of idols and the pursuit of heathenism and hedonism that would worship the creation rather than the creation. And for some of us, that's our story and our background. For others, it's those who were steeped in Judaism and following the law of God in the right way, but trusting our following of God in the right way that we can none of us live up to as making us right with God. And so what Paul says here is once you've come to know God, he says, actually, you've come to be known by God. It's his initiating grace. Why would you turn back to your old ways? Why would you go back to trusting in your own deeds instead of what Christ has done? And so the Galatians are tempted to return either, they've turned from idolatry to Christianity with a temptation to go back to some legalistic kind of Judaism. One writer says Judaism as a auto-soteriological legalistic scheme of redemption fails. Now what that means is that's just a big phrase for saving myself through what I do. As a system of salvation will always fail. But the gospel of free grace is where the power is. It's the power that cut off the chains of slavery and has set us free to walk in newness of life. And so what is it, why would we return to old patterns? For me, a return to old patterns is a reliance, a pattern of relying, even as a Christian, many, many times over many, many years. The struggle for me is relying on my own abilities or relying on the sole power of God alone. And you see, that's how God is using this interim president role for me. We get sort of good at, at least we pat ourselves on the back of, I did pretty well for 10 years as dean of students, and I was going along pretty well as vice president of academics. And now all of a sudden, God has this plan for me that I never aspired to or dreamed of, and wasn't sure I should even say yes to, of being interim president. And so what's he do? He keeps in our lives, putting us in new places where the only possible way forward is complete reliance upon him and not on ourselves. 
Now that may come through an illness, may come through the death of a loved one, it may come through economic loss, it may come through any kind of struggle that you or I are facing. But we're to receive those hardships and challenges as opportunities to be drawn back into the intimacy and closeness of relationship with Christ and dependence upon Him. So what are the old patterns in your life that under stress you return to? And let's pray this morning that God would break those old patterns once again and set you free into the freedom that Paul says is already yours in Christ Jesus. The second question is, who has robbed you of all your joy? Who has robbed you of all your joy? Verses 12 to 18. Paul's ministry came. He talked about a new relationship with Christ that was deep and strong and full of love. The Judaizers followed and in so-called ministry led them astray into joyless, self-imposed slavery. You see, once, when we're slaves, we don't have joy. Christ sets us free into a life of joy. And when we go back to those patterns of slavery, the joy goes away. So they're interconnected. When I was, uh, oh, I guess about three or four years into being dean of students at Covenant Seminary, one of the student workers in my office said, Mark, I've got a new title for you. I said, what's that, Dan? He said, Dean of Fun. I said, we love being around you because you're a dean of fun. Not just dean of students, but dean of fun. So that was a title that Dr. Chapel couldn't give me. Um, as my boss, but uh, it was sort of like an honorary degree. You know, the students were saying, you're dean, you're dean of fun, so we're going to call you dean of fun. Well, a few, three years ago or so, when Dr. Chapel asked me to be vice president of academics, one of our Old Testament professors said, um, we're, uh, which also is called dean of faculty, he says, we're only willing to receive Mark if he can be dean of faculty fun. Okay? So I thought, okay, thank you, Jack, that was good. Um, so now that I'm interim president, um, they actually call me iPres now. And so I had to buy myself an iPhone and come up with into the 21st century. Almost said come into the 20th century. Oh, well. Um, and uh, I think that now my role is to be iPresident, iPres of seminary-wide fun. Okay? I mean, there's something about life in Jesus that's shared together in a congregation or a seminary that without taking away the seriousness and the sober realities of living in a world in which sin still has much power, but at the same time to know as the people, the resurrection people of the hope that's coming, that God's put the Holy Spirit in us and fruit of the Spirit is joy. And Christ came to make our joy complete. And while joy and fun are distinguishable, a fruit of joy should be having fun. In this world God has made, on the golf course yesterday, at a nice dinner at an Italian restaurant last night, and in worship this morning as we gather together, knowing the joy of the Lord as what? Our strength to keep running in the race that God has set before us. But I struggle at times to be the dean of fun or dean of faculty fun or interim president of seminary-wide fun or just fun in the context of marriage and family. We have struggles. My wife and I have come through a season of 
some very challenging interactions with our adult children, our adult children who have their own children, where they were willing to come to us and say to us, there were some things about being a family in ministry and in this extended family that didn't go so well for us, that were painful and harmful. And you see, the family idol in the Dalby slash Perrin household is to appear to be a ministry family that has it all together. Isn't that the job of the pastor? To be the one person in the congregation who has it all together. Isn't that what you want at your pastor? Well, I'll tell you what, if your pastor starts saying he doesn't, sometimes that upsets people. Okay? But our children came to us and told us hard things, things that we didn't really believe were quite as true as they were telling us. And the temptation to say, you're wrong, that wasn't, didn't happen that way, would have driven our children away. And so the Lord gave us a freedom in the gospel and a desire for connection with our children. I mean, I am not naturally inclined to receive criticism with joy. Okay? Anybody here want to raise their hand? They are. And if you do, please see me afterwards. I think we have to have a conversation. But they loved us enough to tell us hard things because they wanted to have a deeper, closer, more loving relationship as adults with us. And the Lord used that in powerful ways in my wife's and my lives. And I'm so thankful that we've been able to grow as our children have, yes, they did overstate some things, and they've acknowledged since that time that they overstated some things. But they loved us enough to hurt us and to see the hope of a joy-filled, bondage-freed walk together in love. And see, that's why Jesus came, that we might have that kind of relationship with him and with his people and invite people who don't know him into that life-transforming experience that sets people free and gives them fullness of, of joy. But under pressure, my joy goes away. And it doesn't matter how much I pretend to have joy or put on a happy face so others won't see me getting down, that joy comes and goes as I struggle, as I return to old patterns of bondage. My wife does this wonderful thing. Um, she asks me this question that Paul asked the Galatians from time to time. When she sees that I'm down, when I'm discouraged, she would, she'll say, Mark, what is robbing you of all your joy? Or she'll actually put it, it's actually less challenging to put it as a statement. Don't let these things rob you of your joy. That comes across more encouraging than challenging. Okay? And sometimes you have to be timely about this. It's not a formula. Um, she has to sense when it's probably not a good idea to ask me what's robbed me of my joy. The timing of words that are encouraging is very important. But that's a good question. It's a good statement to make. Let's not let fill in the blank rob us of our joy that the Lord has given us. It's part of his sustaining, empowering grace to us as his people. And then the final question is in verses 19 to 20. Is Christ being formed in you? 
is Christ being formed in you? And again, he says, I mean, he's correcting them in this context. He's challenging them. He's saying, y'all have messed up. But look at these words of longing and desire. He says, my dear children, even in the midst of correcting them and trying to get them back on track, don't run into the locker room. Everybody else may be way ahead of you, and you'll never catch up to them. But there's a race to finish, and your time doesn't matter. Keep running. If you can only walk with a limp, walk with a limp. If someone needs to carry you, keep going with someone carrying you. But go forward, my dear children, for whom I am in the pains of childbirth. Now, granted, Paul can't fully understand what the pains of childbirth are. And for all of you women who have gone through that and produced bundles of joy on the other side, um, don't think that Paul really thinks he knows what childbirth is like. But he's got some sense that is very painful. But it's painful unto joyful life. And so he's saying, I'm willing... I'm willing to enter back into the pains of childbirth. He's saying this actually spiritually. He was present at their birth into new life in Jesus Christ. And it was painful for him because he took opposition. And now people are coming in and trying to undo the work, the gospel work that he's done. And so he's saying, I'm in the pains of childbirth. I have deep longing for something. And that is that Christ would be formed in them. Now, what is God's will and goal for your life and mine? I used to, when I was dean of students, we'd do the orientation of new students at Covenant Seminary. And uh, I would say, as dean of students, I know God's will for your life. And they would say, really? I'd say, yeah, you can come set up an appointment in my office, and it'd take about 10 minutes. And I'll tell you God's will for your life. Now they're all coming, you know, they've left, you know, home and family and jobs and houses and so on to come to seminary. And they get there and they say, what have I done? And where am I going? And what will there be a job on the other end? And where will we live? And all those questions. And I say, well, actually, you don't even have to set up an appointment. I'll tell you right now. God's will for your life, according to Romans 8.28, once you get past figuring out what the predestination part means, it's for a goal. It's predestination, whatever you fill in that definition to be. And I have some pretty strong feelings about that, and I've taken a vow of subscription to a confession that says what that means. But put predestination off to the side. Its purpose is for us to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. That's God's will for your life. Regardless of who you marry or if you're married, what your job is or was, where you live... God's concerned about those details more than you are. But he's most concerned that all of those details of his will fit into his primary purpose for your life and mine, that we would become like Jesus. Now someday, you, if you belong to Christ, will be like Jesus. Okay? David will be like Jesus someday. He's not fully there yet, but someday he will be. And when David is fully conformed to Jesus, and I'm fully conformed to Jesus, we call that theologically glorification, okay, he'll still be David and I'll still be Mark. And neither of us will actually be Jesus, but we'll be shaped and formed to be like him. That's God's goal for your life. That's God's goal for this church. 
That's God's goal for my life and for Covenant Seminary. And so this passion for Christ to be formed in us, that's what sanctification is. That's what growing to be what? Dead to sin, alive to Christ. And the power for that doesn't come by my keeping the works of the law. The power for me to become like Jesus, which means I will follow the law of God, the law of love, fulfill his holy, righteous requirements, is Christ powerfully living in me through the Holy Spirit. This should be the zeal and the passion of this congregation, of everyone who belongs to Christ. And... You know, we're going through this thing of what do we? What's the profile for the new president, and and um, when can we find him, and how quickly can we find him? And hopefully, that's not a comment about me. Um, but there's this desire for certain things. Well, what I want most in the new president of Covenant Seminary is that he will be a person whose primary goal in his life is to be for, to have Christ formed in his life. And I would urge you to consider that as a primary purpose and goal in the new pastor that God will someday reveal to you who that's to be. We're sort of walking in a journey uh, that's parallel and intersecting this morning, at least, in that way. And to find a pastor whose passion will be that Christ would be formed in you as the congregation. And to sort of keep that overarching, there are other details that are important, but none are as important as that. Well, Christ has come to set you free. Christ has come to restore your joy. And Christ has come to take up residence and to become more and more taking over of your life. I think that the key to understanding how all of this happens is found as we close in verses 4 through 7 of chapter 4. This is what God has done to set you free, to give you fullness of joy, and to be formed in you. When the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God has made you also an heir. Now just a, a brief word to the ladies. Uh, Paul's use of the word sons here is not to exclude women. It's to include women in the receiving of the full inheritance. So he's meaning sons as men and women, which he has just said a few verses uh, earlier. In Christ, there's neither male nor female. And so you're included in the sons for sure. This is very much the inclusive use of sons, okay, Um, as you look at this. But the key here is what God in Christ has done. How can we resist going back to old patterns of slavery? How can we have joy that remains? How can Christ be formed more fully in us? Because in the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem us from sin and to adopt us as his children. 
My hope in what you would take away from here is an understanding that the Christian life is about intimate, personal relationship with God himself through his Son, by the Holy Spirit. When my now 33-year-old son um, was just a couple years old and my grandfather and grandmother were in their late 70s, which is a lot younger than it used to be, um, my grandparents came, Stephen's great-grandparents, to see our newborn daughter, Kristen. And my grandfather uh, decided that he would take Stephen for a walk down the street. Now, Stephen's not yet two. Okay? And my grandfather was not very fast. And Stephen was sort of a sprinter at that age. Okay? And there was no sidewalk on the street. And so Beth and I were sort of like, okay, what do we do? Uh, so we'll pray. <laughs> we won't stop him from going, but we'll pray that they get back safely. So... About a block from our house, a huge, loud crack of thunder happened. And so Granddad and Stephen returned to the house, which in the Lord's providence we saw as making sure that Stephen would get back safely. And Granddad. Okay, so Stephen comes back and he jumps into my wife Beth's arms and he tells his first story as a um, 21-month-old uh, little boy. He said, Munder... Gare Dean, Dean cry, mommy rock rock. Thunder scared Stephen. Stephen cried, mommy rocked him. Okay? To me, that's the picture of what Paul wants in our lives. There are things that are going to come. There's going to be loud cracks of thunder, um, especially as we start departing from the way maybe we should go. But what God desires for each of us this morning and every moment of every day is that you would know the strength, the power, the love, the comfort, the courage that comes from resting in his arms and knowing the intimacy of the work that's already been accomplished, that you might be free, that you might have joy, and that you might become more and more like Jesus. Father, we thank you for this portion of your word. Minister it to our hearts, not only in this moment, but into our lives in transforming ways as we go from this place. In Jesus' name.